Blog Talk Radio. This is All About Wine on Blog Talk Radio, the talk show dedicated to the wine industry since 2009, featuring winemaker, cellar master, vineyardist, and tasting expert, Ron. Basically what we're trying to do on this program is just trying to educate people and trying to make wine less confusing and more friendly. From coast to coast and around the world. You know, we really have had some some neat people on the program. I, I just, I love that. Share your question or comments using the live chat feature on our website at www.allaboutwinebtr.com. Again, that's www.allaboutwinebtr.com. And now, All About Wine is on. Here's Ron. Oh, yeah. You know, I had noticed in the opening there that the, the band was getting a little tired of playing that same opening over and over again. They were getting a little lazy on some of those notes and stuff. So <laughs> we, we might, we might have to so. look at that. Yeah. Well, Just we'll stuff. get the orchestra back together again and see if we can redo it. See if um, we can do it again, yeah. Because yeah. they were getting Just, a little tired on some of those. And so. But uh, yeah. welcome. Uh, welcome yeah. to All About Wine. It is the last day of... February 2019 at Thursday, 7.01 Eastern Time. Uh, if you want to get a hold of us, uh, go on to All About Wine and Blog Talk Radio and click the lower right-hand corner, and you'll go into chat, and Michael check with you there and let me know, and we'll go yeah. from there. So yeah. uh, it's a simple process. Simple. Or just send me an email, and uh, if you have any questions, uh um, all about wine 101 at gmail.com and I'll answer your questions there too. So, so yeah. welcome out. I was, I missed last week. Uh, my mother-in-law uh, was in the hospital. They threw her in the hospital Thursday afternoon. So I was tied up with that and uh, she lives with us. So it's, you know, not just a matter of, um, it's a matter of, you know, part of the household. So we missed last week, but we are back and we are ready to go and we have, uh, interesting, exciting show of all about wines. Uh, yeah. Coming up. Wish everyone had a good. Well, let's see, what was it? Valentine's Day, I guess, was the last one. Right? Yeah, that was two weeks ago today, and we missed last week, so I wish everyone had a good Valentine's Day. And uh, I think I posted uh, something to the page. Uh, I want to make sure I went back, but uh wasn't a couple of days ago, National. Uh, was it National Wine Day? I think. I think um, so. I think I saw that. Yeah, I saw that post. Oh, what you. was it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's and I was totally taken off guard. I got it from a news store, source, and I thought, oh wow, okay. <laughs> yeah, I I didn't know about it until you saw it. I'm going, is it? And I just, you know, I mean, I, I mean, usually on top of that stuff, but that is that's not in there. So, uh, oh well. Yeah. Yeah, that was a so, That's right. That's a different one. Yeah, very good. Um, maybe I didn't. I didn't see it on here. Hmm. I do that. I, I I saw. Let me pull it up here. I wine. think what about wine. What about wine. I thought for sure. BTR. Boy, my computer's getting slower and slower. Um, I don't see a post. I don't see the post on here. Let me. Uh, hmm. Let me see. 
I know it was up there because I saw it. Uh, uh, best vintages to drink in 2019. Right. Uh, uh, it's just, it's, no, it's not here. I thought for sure I'd. I know it was on there because I. Yeah, so do I. That's why I shared it to the page. Yeah. Hmm. Oh wait, national, national. I just saw something. National Drink Wine Day, February eighteenth. Okay. Yeah, it's it's down below um, the wines of Germany. Post. Uh-huh. There you go. Oh wow, the eighteenth. Uh, okay. Okay. So it was before. Oh, okay. Very good. Yeah, it was right. It was the, it was before uh, last week's show that. Yeah, we weren't on last week. Okay, so that was posted. Oh, no, oh, okay, week, so that's why. Yeah. Further than myself. So, hmm. Boy, it took long mm-hmm. enough for the stinking bloody load back there, too. <laughs> okay, yeah, here, National Drink Wine Day. Raise a glass and celebrate National Drink Wine Day. Okay, if you all missed that, that doesn't mean that you can't drink wine any day, but that's a special day. Yeah, I saw that on there, and I'm going, oh, I missed that. And I didn't, and I didn't see it anywhere. That's, that's sad that we missed that couple people like that pose. That's good. Heather, I know mm-hmm. Heather. Okay, very good. Um, so uh, we are back and we've got a few things to talk about and some trivia and we got uh, we also got our calendar of food. I missed February for some reason. I didn't, didn't get that calendar but we've got it back for March. Uh, March, now it's National Red Cross Month, nothing to do with food, but just something interesting. Also, it's National Women's History Month, National Fresh Salary Month. That's celery, not salary, celery. Let me pronounce that right, celery. And National Noodle Month, March. National Flower Month, National Frozen Food Month, National Nutrition Month, and... National Peanut Month. So, and tomorrow starts out with National Peanut Butter Lovers Day. Also, National Fruit Compote Day, and it's an Employee Appreciation Day. So, any of you out there with employees, but National Peanut Butter Lovers Day. So, I suppose that can come in any style, whatever you want to do that with. I mean. I can't help but think of all the candy bars that have peanut butter in them. That would still qualify, I think. But find a wine that would go with those. Saturday, National Banana Cream Pie Day. Oh, I like a good banana cream pie. And not just the the cream in the pie that's just this banana pudding type stuff. I like chunks of banana in my banana cream pie. So Sunday, National Cold Cuts Day. And that opens up a lot of stuff for your wine there. Yeah, wine and cold cut sandwiches is is a good good mix. Don't get something too heavy. Stay with a light red if you don't want to do a bunch of meats, but uh, which is what cold cuts are. Also, Mon- our Sunday is National Mold Wine Day, so pull out your mold wine and enjoy it on Sunday. Monday, National Pound of Cake Day. Tuesday, Fat Tuesday, Mardi Gras starts. So there you go, Fat Tuesday, indulge. Uh, National Cheese Doodle Day also. Uh, no, Fat Tuesday, Mardi Gras. 
my engineer in the background thought it was last month or this month. This is still February this month, but no, it's coming up on Tuesday the 5th. Ash Wednesday is the 6th, which is National Oreo Day, the best cookie in the whole wide world. I love Oreos. They have a, I have a triple stuff out now. Uh, not a double stuff, but a triple stuff Oreo with all that lard cream filling in there, uh, triple stuff. And then Thursday, National Cereal Day, and also National Roast of Pork Day. Oh, there you go. Thursday, National Roast of Pork. Pour yourself out some nice wines with a nice Barbera and a roast pork would be great together. So, so that's what's coming up this week. Mark your calendars and pull out your wines for each one of those so you'll be all set and ready to go. Got some stuff to talk about today. First, let's do a little bit of trivia. Healthy habit. Is wine healthy for you? Or as a healthy person, do you happen to be a wine drinker? According to medical researchers, while the consumption of wine in moderation confers numerous health benefits, the truth is that many wine drinkers also have better diets, better exercise habits, and healthier lifestyle habits than non-wine drinkers. And those habits may account in part for the link between wine and health. A groundbreaking study that reported by the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition found that compared to non-drinkers, spirit drinkers, and beer drinkers, those who drank wine in moderation had significantly higher fiber intake, consumed less saturated fat and cholesterol, smoked less, and exercised more. Wine drinking also has been linked in numerous studies to higher income and higher IQ both of which in turn are linked to healthier lifestyle and habits. There you go. So, you know, I mean, wine drinking either begot a healthy lifestyle and all these good stuff, or all of it makes you a person. I don't know. There has to be correlations there in all those areas. But uh, either way, it's good for you. We have a few things I want to talk about tonight. Let's start out with, oh, my engineer just brought me my evening wine. Should I know what this is? I don't know. Uh, she's not going to give me any hints at all. Mmm, a little plummy aroma to it. Yeah. It is red. Pretty decent red, too. It's got some nice, got nice, nice legs on the first swirl there. Uh, legs, for those of you who aren't sure, legs are the things that run down the side of the glass. Uh, when you swirl a wine, red or white, you're going to see legs. Mostly in reds, though, the white usually you can't see them. And two schools of thought on legs. One, ignore it, shut up, drink your wine. Number two school of thought is it's important. Slow, thick legs usually means a little bit more body to your wine. Fast, thin legs usually indicates that it is a uh, little bit lighter wine. Uh, I've had people come into the winery saying that they've been told that legs indicate all sorts of stuff, alcohol levels, sugar levels, all this stuff. I, you know, I I don't think so. I mean, I've had wines that had a lot of sugar that had good legs, had wines that had a lot of sugar that had no legs. So, you know, and hence 
you know, shut up and drink your wine. But this one has nice legs. Uh, now, after swirling it a little bit, I'm also picking up a little bit of tobacco-y undertones to it, too. Hmm. Let me do a sip here. Nice, light tannins, not a whole lot of acid, which is balanced well with the tannins. Let me do a second sip. Never judge one on your first, always on your second. Oh, that's nice. Dry, got some nice flavors. And it is, here it is, from a Tivo. Uh, a Salento Indicazon Geographica Tipica. Uh, Tipica. 2013 Primitivo Cantel. Obviously, a Spanish. Red wine. Uh, Salento forms the sou- southernmost part of Puglia and flanks the Andriatic and Ionian seas for over 100 kilometers. Primitivo grapes ripen very early in the season, giving this wine a deep, intense red color, full body, and unique mineral bouquet with undertones of cherries and plums. I definitely got plums. And uh, maybe a little bit of cherries if I search for it. Primitivo. Uh, Zimmendel if you will. Primitivo is traced back, or Zimbro is traced back to the uh, Spanish Primitivo wine. Let me, I wasn't going to do this, but let me see if I can't find uh, my list of wine grapes here. I do have a list of wine grapes. Let me see what it says about Primitivo. Uh, if I can find them. Oh, there's Forest States Wine Grape. That's not wine grapes. Uh, <laughs> well, I know it's here. It's a matter of finding it. Uh, I think I had this problem last time when I tried to find it come up right away like I wanted it to. Uh, Yes, it is. It's on this one. Wine grape varieties. Okay, let's look at Primitivo and see what it says on my Primitivo. It says Primitivo is a dark skinned grape known for its for producing inky tannic wines, particularly Primitivo di Mandiria, and its naturally sweet Dulce Natural variant. Huh. A classic Primitivo wine is high in both alcohol and tannins, and the alcohol level of this is uh, 13.5%, so a little bit higher uh, red. Uh, intensely flavored and deeply colored 
Uh, it's uh, in Mandiria. It is often fortified with alcohol at 18, which is brought down to 14% or so for table wines. Uh, well, let's see. It goes on to tell you the regions that it's grown in and tells you, but that's not what I'm looking for so much. The name Primitivo translates roughly into as early wine, and it just said on the label there they do ripen early. And there is an obvious link here with Tempranillo, which means the same thing in Spanish, and it refers to the early ripening. Uh, the robust character of such Primitivo wine does little to correct this mistake of being early ripening. It doesn't say, you know, synonyms include Zimindol. Okay, there we go. Synonyms include Zimindol, uh, Kurzanik, uh, Kostolinsky, Prebidrig, uh, Trebidrig, and Kretosodja. Hmm. But that's the only thing it says about Primitivo being uh, any indication of a Zimindol. And where it's found, where it's used, Italy, 97. This is Italian one. Is this? Well, this must be Italian. What am I? Yes, product of Italy. I said Spanish. Well, I was really bad on that. Uh, Italian wine. Boy, messed up on that one. Didn't I? It says so right here on the bottle. Product of Italy. Uh, I was thinking Spanish. Primitivo. Uh, 97% of it's grown in Italy, 3% in the United States. That's it. Uh, well, I was really off on this wine, wasn't I? So, uh, there it is, Primitivo. Uh, well, I'm look at Zimindol while I'm here and see what it says here. Okay, okay, Here, here's the paragraph. After 30 years of discussion and disagreements, including legal intervention by the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Farms, DNA research carried out by Carol Meredith of the University of California at Davis from the early 1990s to 2002, known as the ZinQuest, confirmed that Zimindol is identical to Elise Primitivo. But although this research closed the debate over whether Zimindol is primitive, it opened up an even older chapter of the variety's history. And it goes on to talk about that. So, so it is the same. I thought so, but I was thinking Spanish. Why, why was I thinking Spanish? Um, obviously, you don't know. Zimindol, 99% grown in the USA, and then there's a little bit grown in Italy, Australia, Mexico, Chile, Croatia. France and others, so it's spread out. There's the one percent spread out all around the world, but most of it's here. Um, hmm. Why always thought primitive was Spanish? I don't know why, but it isn't. It is. It is Italian. So I'm having myself an Italian Zimino. I suppose you can say, although it's not a Zimino grape, it's a primitive grape. Hmm. So there you go little stuff there I wouldn't talk about, which I wasn't planning on, but hey. Pet bottles. 
you know what pet bottles are? Pet bottles are the plastic bottles. Uh, polyethylene terephthalate uh, is what PET stands for. Polyethylene terephthalate. I probably pronounced that last word wrong. But it's um, plastic, you know, if you will. You the same bottles as you get with your water bottles and like 99% of the other plastic things that are going on. PET bottles are starting to be used for wine bottles. More and more. Uh, there is an article I found here about a company in London that is starting to use pet bottles for their wines. It's a Delivering Happiness Limited. Their their wines are Garcon wines, and the CEO uh, discussed what he was doing in the pet bottles here. Santiago Navarro is his name. And he said that one of the things about pet bottles is getting people to start accepting it more. It's not so much the fact that it changes the wine inside. It is much more so of the people accepting the wine and accepting that it is in a lighter bottle instead of the heavy glass wine bottle. A bottle that is 87% lighter and 40% more efficient. It looks beautiful and is made from 100% recycled beverage bottles. He said you can't lose with that. It, and he uses recycled PET, our PET is what it's labeled as. 100% uh, post-consumer recycled PET. And he's been working with a company that uh, has been able to break down the old pet bottles and make new bottles for it. And he said one of the keys to it is is not just making a bottle. It is something that is a little bit more aesthetically appealing on the shelf. Something that looks a little bit different. Uh, in addition, he says his uh, recycled pet is 50% content and higher and definitely at 100% uh, recycled. Uh, he said, you know, a lot of places are doing some 50%. He says, using virgin PET is cheaper and easier for bottle production, but recycled gives it a, well, uses up all these bottles that we have. I mean, I, I'm sure you, you can't go through life right now without noticing constant comments about how the water bottles and all this stuff are plugging up everything and how they have a forever life and how they're creating islands in the ocean and all this. He said this using the pet is really something that needs to be done and needs to be done right away. He said because it does really help the environment. He said if you use um, virgin pet, uh, what he calls uh, brand new pet bottles, then it gives you a clear plastic, hence water bottles and stuff, that, that's brand new. If you use recycled, it gives it a grayish color. And so to get away from that, he is coloring his bottles. The red and white wines, he's coloring the bottles an olive green and a light pink for the rosés that he's doing which is getting away from the fact that it's just this dirty gray color 
of um, the pet bottle. That's good. That wine too. Um, and uh, engineer just came by and took the bottle from me. It is. Uh, I, he was asked what the recycling rate uh, rate is in the United Kingdom. And he says the average, depends on what studies you go by, but he says the average out to about 65% of plastic bottles were recycled in the UK in 2016, which is a pretty good percentage. I don't know what it is in the United States. I would guess that it is lower than that because uh, we don't recycle like we should and all that. I'm, I'm big on recycling. But then I, I think I mentioned, speaking of recycling, I think we were talking a couple of weeks ago about how hard it is for me to recycle uh, VHS tapes and how I could not find a source to recycle VHS tapes. While sitting and watching TV um, sometime this past week, there was a advertisement came on for Pasco County, which is the county I live in here in Florida, for Pasco County and recycle. And, you know, it was sort of a silly advertisement, but Basically, it says, you know, recycle, it helps the environment, it helps the county and all that. And it gave a phone number and it gave a web address. And so I called the number. And the girl answered and I said, I'm looking to recycle VHS tapes. And she says, oh, we recycle. And then she came back and said, no, we don't. I said, well, I didn't think you did. Do you know anybody who does? Or what can I do with them and all that? And she said, well, come on, I said, no, I don't want to do that. Because it's like a thousand-year lifespan on the on the tapes, and I'm not going to break them down, get the plastic and all that. She apologized. Half hour later, the phone rings. It was her. I didn't give her my number. They must have caller ID, I hope, instead of, you know, her having to look through it. But she said, you can drop those off at the household hazard at the recycling place at the dump. The household hazard section we'll take VCR tapes, our VHS tapes, old VHS tapes. So any of you out there, check with your local recycling at, at your dumps or wherever, and household hazards, they may also take VHS tapes. And instead of throwing them in, don't, don't, don't throw them in the garbage because the tapes themselves are mylar, and that mylar takes forever and ever and ever to break down. So, same thing with those Mylar balloons and stuff like that. Those take forever, too. But VHS tapes and cassette tapes, uh, the tapes themselves are Mylar. So, recycle them properly. And uh, I, I found a place for mine. That's just an aside here. I'm talking about recycling. I just reminded a couple of weeks ago we were talking about that. Uh, the um, So, he's doing all this with recycled PET bottles, trying to get a uh, movement going that recycles more and more and more. I think it's great. I, I, I applaud him for his uh, innovations of doing that. It is, it is fantastic. Also, I found Outdoor Vino. Outdoor Vino is from the Oregon-based Naked Winery. Naked Winery has come out with a, a line of wines called Outdoor Vino. Take it outside. And those are pet bottles also. Uh, obviously, new bottles on these. 
because he's not doing the recycle. But uh, plastic currently makes up 45% of packaging materials used compared to just 17% for glass. Now, that's overall beverage industry. Plastic bottles are projected to grow in popularity across the beverage industry and compromise 55% of packaging materials by 2028, and glass is expected to fall to 12%. Now, you have to look at liquor on that, too. There's so many of the liquor bottles now are plastic. Um, it's just amazing how many of them out there are. So that probably makes up a big part of these numbers. However, plastic is less prominent in wine. Glass is still by far the most common material. And there are signs of change, though. Naked winery is a great example. Uh, they're looking at the alternative. Uh, Naked winery's outdoor vino brand targets people who embrace the outdoor. Uh, it's uh, for the market of people who are what they call adventure ready with an adventure ready wine. Uh, if you want to go on a picnic, if you want to climb to a mountaintop, if you want to go canoeing, whatever, these are great wines for that because you don't have the weight of the bottle and it can be mashed down a little bit and go back into your backpack and not have that weight of the bottle that you're carrying around with you. So it is uh, something that they're looking at. It is... Uh, it's... Uh, be able to carry it in wine settings that you're not used to. You have to rethink packaging. Glass is out. Plastic is in. But <coughs> excuse me. But plastic is much lighter, and this is the key to it too. A 750 milliliter glass bottle weighs 400 600 grams. The PET equivalent is just 54 grams. So, I mean, it just eight times less. Almost, you know, you're looking eight times less on weight of a pet bottle as opposed to plastic. And most of them are screw cap. You don't have the corks. You have screw cap again, uh, so everything can be recyclable. So, uh, sustainability, cost, everything. Uh, Eighty-seven percent of Americans say that they likely buy from a company committed to environmentally friendly practices. This is one of the reasons why Naked Wines has went this way. It's, you know, being lightweight also means it's more energy efficient to transport, thus a smaller footprint. I mean, when you have one eighth the weight in shipping, it's like, oh my gosh, yeah, and easier to handle and everything else. They also say that 94% of Americans have access to pet recycling programs, whether it be pick up at their home or recycle bins or whatever. A lot of trails and a lot of beaches and all that stuff, too, now have recycling barrels available. So if you're hiking or if you're at the beach or something, a lot of places at the trailheads will have recycling barrels so, good deal. Naked wines in their new pet bottles. I, 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 think it's, I think it's fantastic. This is the more that they can do it. And it doesn't change the, uh, the taste of the wine. Inside is still 
whatever it is that you're so used to and whatever it is that you enjoy and whatever it is that you like. So, yeah, good stuff. Another little trivia here, Court Taint. I talked about this. Let's see what this little trivia thing says about it. It says, the dawning of the 21st century brought with it a somewhat surprising new development for wine lovers, screw caps. Not just any old screw caps. These were the best, called Stelben caps. And several dozen fine wine producers, especially in Australia and New Zealand, first began using them with their early vintages. Their motivation? They were fed up with the TCA, or 246-trichlorinosol, that taint that lies embedded but often undetected in corks. TCA ultimately migrates from the corks to the wine, ruining it. Yeah, note, you know, TCA isn't harmful, but it gives wine a musty, wet dog in the cellar aroma that's very unappealing. It's not going to hurt you, but it just, it's not a good, good aroma. Once in wine, TCA produces an aroma that is powerfully apparent. Humans who have been trained to identify TCA by its smell, including wine lovers who have came to recognize the unfortunately distinctive aroma, can sometimes detect the substance at as little as three parts per trillion. And it's not a lot. It doesn't take a lot of TCA to, to make it. I mean, you know, as much as, you know, five, six parts per trillion really does affect the smell of the wine. So, will all corks eventually be abandoned in favor of other closures? Probably not. The cork industry is aggressively battling the TCA problem with a lot of sophisticated technology. The latest hope lies with machines that can actually smell a cork to detect if it has TCA at least uh, in parts less than one part per trillion. So very sensitive machines. I suppose you can have dogs on your bottling line. But there you go. TCA, it's uh, nasty stuff. Nasty stuff. Uh, I had wines that have been corked before. That's another term, corked. Whenever you hear that, that's TCA. Okay. I had a nice article in a local paper here about Cabernet Sauvignon. I just want to hit online. It says five things you should know about Cabernet Sauvignon. Let me get a sip here. Uh, Yeah, five things you should know. Where it's from? Cabernet Sauvignon, if you're not familiar, is the progeny of Cabernet Franc and Sauvignon Blanc. Two grapes that are actually still around today. It originated probably spontaneously in Bordeaux in France in the mid-1700s, so we're around that time. For wine romantics... That means the Bordeaux that Thomas Jefferson enjoyed on his visits to the region in the 1780s were probably not primarily Cabernet. Something to think about there. Think of all these Jefferson wines. It might not have been all the Cabernet we see in them now. Where it grows, pretty much all over the world. It is a very, very widely planted grape, and it's very popular. You mentioned... Napa, and you think Cabernet Sauvignon, it is the king of, of Napa. 
and in fact, it was the Napa Stag's Leap Wine Cellars Cabernet that dethroned Bordeaux in the uh, judgment of Paris tasting in 1976. Um, Bottle shock, if you've never seen the movie, that that tells about a fascinating, fascinating story. But Cabernet's all over. You can find it just about anywhere. There is what they call the Goldilocks temperature zone. Uh, Not too hot, not too cold. Uh, just right in the middle, and that's where Cabernet grows best, uh, a little temperamental. With global warming, it is our climate change. Instead of global warming, it is moving the Goldilocks zone a little bit further north. And so some of the southern edges of the Cabernet are getting a little bit more stringent and stuff. So that's something that is not good for that. Their taste of Cabernet, I'm sure all of you have had it, but it's known for its dark fruit flavors of black cherry, blackberry, black currant, or cassis. And you may find some spiciness to it, anise, clove, nutmeg. A little graphite is a common description, uh, for, uh, especially from Bordeaux Cabernets. Think your pencils, your school pencils, smell the, smell the lead in it. That, that's graphite, you get that in there. If it's underripe, uh, too much fruit on the vine, it dilutes the flavor and it can taste a little bit green in a vegetable. Not, not that it's bad, but it, it's you can tell if it's underripe. Uh, same, uh, if, if it's overripe, then you're going to get uh, a higher alcohol and use the uh, a prunes, raisiny type flavor, dried fruit, if you will, and stuff like that. So these are the things. Uh, and neither one is bad. Some winemakers like to bring out the little overripe taste on the cabs and give you that uh, raisiny, pruny stuff, which yeah, I enjoy too. What to eat with cab? You want something a little bit heavier. You want something that's going to going to hold up with it. Um, that's why cabs, uh, their, their tannins in it are made for aging, and that aging is a uh, good, heavy taste in the mouth. As uh, uh, he described it here in this article, is when you taste it, it makes your teeth itch, um, which is an interesting example, but it's pretty true. When you have food with it, because of the heavy tannins, meat, fat cuts the tannins in the taste, and so it, it stops it, it lowers it a little bit. So that's why you go with the steaks and the burgers and the ribs and, and stuff like that. So that's going to help balance your food with your cab, and it will also help cut those heavy tannins. And also... It's, well, it's it's a meat wine, and it might not match a lot of people's lifestyle anymore. It's mostly paired with meats because of the tannins and stuff, and people are getting away from the red meats. They're getting away from that heavy, big wine. They're looking at lower-fat diets and stuff like that. But that doesn't mean you need to get away from cabs. Cabs are made in 
such a big variety of styles that you can pretty much find a style that suits what you want to pair it with. And if you want to get away from it, try some other Cabernet Franc, Malbec, Gamay, Barbera, Pinot Noir, a little bit softer tannins, but still red, a little bit more fruity. But uh, there are, again, there's camps out there that will match up to just about anything you want. Just uh, try them. And that really is the, the fun thing about cabs, is trying them. If you find one you like, make a note of it, and you can enjoy it over and over again. Nothing wrong with that. Okay. And tannins. That, you know, i got a little trivia here since I just mentioned tannins. Let me talk about that for a second here. Most of us have experienced that drying, rough, astringent sensation after a sip of certain big tannic red wines. What's going on? According to scientists of, at the School of Viticulture and Enology at the University of California, Davis, which, again, is pretty much the school for, for wine, tannins have a very strong affinity for proteins, such as those commonly found in saliva. When you drink a tannic wine... The tannins bind to your saliva, reducing oil lubrication and literally impart a feeling of friction. Okay? Interestingly, this phenomenon has a cumulative effect. The more sips of a tannic wine you have, the more intense the astringency will feel. There you go. That's an interesting little thing for you there. All right. Now... I see. I was going to talk about. Oh, let me quickly hit on this, and then I'm going to talk about the three tier system. The ruling by the Supreme Court. I mentioned that a couple of months ago, back when about a month ago when they did the ruling by the Supreme Court is uh, where shipping, and they threw it back to the states to ship. Um, there's a residency requirements in uh, on out-of-state wine retailers, and uh, some states and other states don't have that. So uh, there's uh, 36 states that have residency requirements that negatively affect out-of-state retailers, and th that's being challenged uh, continuously, actually all the time now. Uh, the Supreme Court is ruling on it. Now, this could be an interesting thing because the, the ruling is supposed to have been made, but they still have to do a final ruling, which is going to come out probably this month or next month. I, I hate to say exactly when, but it should be pretty soon. But the ruling is... Uh, well, the last ruling they made there Granholm versus Hill in 2009 uh, had three justices on that that are still in the court, but we've got a bunch of new justices now. So there's no indication how the other six justices will rule on this. It's uh, up in the air. We'll see the 21st Amendment, which repelled prohibition, gave states the right to control the importation of alcohol into their borders. But the Commerce Clause authorizes Congress to regulate different aspects of interstate commerce. So, 
the Commerce Clause may take precedent over this, we don't know. We will see what's happening. Uh, I talked about this a lot in a previous show, the ruling, and I said I would stay on top of it and let you know what's happening and what's going on. And as of now, there is no new rulings or anything. It's still still up in the air, but I just I saw this article that I wanted to mention to you that uh, you know, I was talking a little bit more about those rulings and stuff. And that will be coming up, like I say, you know, within the next month or two, they should be doing that. Three-tier system. This is part of what I'm just saying, the rulings there. The three-tier system. This is the classic three-tier system. Back in the, after World War One, the Treaty of Versailles was signed, and the, when the Treaty of Versailles was signed, the areas of Europe wanted to have name protection. And I was talking about this a couple weeks ago. Want to have name protection. And so they put in the Treaty of Versailles that they wanted to protect their names, the different names on that. So they uh, they had it put in the Treaty of Versailles. Well, what happened was President Wilson did not sign the Treaty of Versailles. It was never authorized, never sanctioned. So the United States continued to name names any way we wanted. And so they had prohibition that came up, which threw a clink in everything that they were doing. When prohibition was repelled, they threw the distribution of spirits, alcohol, to the states. And they said, here, you need to do this. Well, at the time, the organized crime was very big. And even during Prohibition, organized crime moved a lot of alcohol and stuff. And this was their thing. Well, after Prohibition, organized crime said, you know, we need a three-tier system. We need distributors. We need people to distribute this around the country and all that around the states. And so all the states says, okay, that sounds like a good idea. We'll do that. So they set up this three-tier system. They set up the system where you had manufacturers, you had distributors, and you had retailers. Therefore, you could not be all three. You had, you were limited to being only two of the three. You either make the spirits and distribute it, or you can distribute it and sell it, or make it and sell it and have someone else distribute it, but you could not do all three. You could not hold a license for all three. Many, many states did that. And this became an issue because a lot of the states were not able to ship to other countries. Now, this is being battled again, just what I was was telling you about there, the and the Supreme Court is looking at this stuff and seeing how the retailer regulations are going to go and what's going to happen if you can ship it across state lines and if you can skip over it. But the three-tier system was set up originally as a sales channel. And because of this, it created a national 
system of retailers and wholesalers and stuff. There are some enormously big companies out there. Southern One is Spirits is one of them I can think of. They're located out in Miami. Uh, they are uh, they send ship spirits, wine, beer all over the southeast United States. There's another one located in Texas, which for the life of me, I can't think of the name of it right now. But they are everywhere. There is, is uh, distributors everywhere, and these are the these are the middlemen. Okay. Now, all this stuff it affects the tape or the price. National sales is a tier where the supplier, be it the winery importer or other producer, sells to a wholesale distributor, either in or out of the state, and the price is determined there. Okay, that is one step. Uh, cost of uh, a bottle of wine, say five dollars and eighty-three cents. Now this is grapes, winemaking, winemaking team, barrels, tanks, bottles, labels, corks, capsules, shipper cartons, storage, and shipping. Per bottle it breaks down to about five dollars and eighty-three cents. Of course, they don't do one bottle at a time. That doesn't. You know, you obviously you understand that. Then you have the price to the distributor, which is the FOB price, price to the distributor. And this is a, about a 33% margin on this. So that brings that bottle of wine up to $8.67. And then you have the wholesale price. This is what... Uh, is it's going to cost to get this bottle of wine into the store where you're going to buy it. And this is the average margin for wholesale. This is 35 to 45% over the average margin FOB. So this is 35 to 45% over that. So this bottle of wine now is up to $13.33. And then it goes on the shelf for you to buy at 33% over the wholesale price. So therefore, it is now $20. And so your bottle of wine that costs $5.83 to produce is now a $20 bottle of wine because of the three-tier system. And this is something that's, that people have been complaining about forever. Uh, both distributors and brokers employ sales representatives, and so they all have their costs built into that. And so each of these steps add money to the cost of the bottle of wine. So direct sales are sales by supplier directly to the end cu customer. But these are regulated by each state. Such sales may be considered through the tasting room or retail operations or consumer events. Uh, supplier managed wine clubs or subscription sales, direct mailing, catalogs, newsletters, stuff, telephone sales, or internet sales. These are all classified as direct sales. Excuse me. Suppliers set pricing for direct sales based on traditional industry standard markups. 
So the suggested retail price, you're jumping it up again there. The suggested retail price, the price from a supplier or off-premise account to consumer. Okay, a super value suggested retail price, sometimes referred to as a jug wine or ultra value wine's price from $1.99 or under for a 750 bottle. A value wine, wine's price between two and five ninety-nine. Fighting varietal, sometimes referred to as economy. Fighting varietal, I've heard of that before. I always thought that was a strange term. Those are wines six to eight ninety-nine per seven fifty mil. Popular premium. These are wines that cost nine to eleven ninety-nine. This is a very popular price range there. Popular premium. Premium wines. Wine is Price between twelve and fourteen ninety nine, super premium fifteen to twenty four ninety nine, ultra premium twenty five to fifty, and luxury wines over fifty. Okay, for seven fifty milliliter. Now these probably up a little bit now. This is a little bit older article here. Probably up a little bit now. Probably another ten percent higher on all these because two buck chuck is now three buck chuck. So you know you can probably add a little bit to each one of those. But these are all part of what you pay. Now, you have wine by the glass also. If you go out somewhere and you get wine by the glass, a restaurant or something, then wine by the glass, you see the cost of the first glass that is sold out of that bottle covers the wholesale cost. Now, the wholesale cost is not the, not the final cost. The wholesale cost is... For example, on that one I just gave, $13.33 is the wholesale price, then you the retail price should be up to 20 But the first glass of wine that you buy will cover the wholesale cost. So, for example, if a bottle of wine costs $8 wholesale, by the glass price will be $8 for the first glass. And it's just a general rule that they have for most restaurants and, and uh, places that do sell wine, uh, bars and stuff. So, it, you know, if, you, if you're curious of how much uh, wine is really cost in a bottle, you can buy a glass of it, and that's roughly what it's going to be paid. Now, restaurants usually mark up their costs three times of a retail price or even a wholesale price. If you're lucky, they're three times the wholesale price. Certain places in the country, five times. You'll find it in New York and in uh, Chicago, San Francisco, you go into restaurants there, and a glass or a bottle of wine is going to be as much as five times wholesale uh, or even retail. So expect to to pay a lot for it. The uh, some distributors are multi-state companies, so they can work in different states. Um, it's not mandatory for multi-state distributors to carry a the products from every state, they don't have to do that. So that's why a lot of times if a distributor is covering, say, Florida, Georgia, Alabama, and Mississippi, the wines that are made in Alabama and Mississippi could very easily not be sold in Florida or Georgia. They have you know, certain, well, profit margins, basically what it boils down to that they won't sell the wines in the other states. So that happens a lot, too. 
um, the host, uh, the um, price from the uh, distributor to the restaurants uh, is usually the wholesale price. It's not the retail price, and uh, but it does influence. Ouch! Uh, just bang my finger. It does influence the price on what you will pay. The retail system is antiquated as far as I'm concerned. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to get on the soapbox for a little bit here. I dealt with the three-tier system at the winery. I hated it. Actually, I didn't deal with it so much because we had all three licenses at the winery. We were able to own all three, and we kept them the whole time the winery was open. We, we got them back when they first opened it. Uh, we obtained all three licenses, a manufacturer, a distributor, and a retail. And we kept these licenses. We were able to do, we were able to distribute ourselves and not have to separate it all. And so we were able to hold all three licenses. It was expensive to renew them every year. And I'd probably if I looked back on it and all that, I would have to question if it was worth it. But then I had to think, yes, it was worth it. Because going through a distributor, say Southern Distributing, if you sell them wines, you would sell them at a wholesale price. They would put them in stores and stuff and say, this is how much you need to sell them for. But then they could put the price on anything they want from the wholesale price. So if we were selling wines for, say, $15 a bottle, I sold them to a whole, uh, to a distributor at say ten dollars a bottle. They'd put them in the store and say sell these for twelve dollars a bottle. And I'm going, wait, no, no, they're they're fifteen a bottle. That's how much we charge in the winery. And they say, well, you know, we're making our profit on this. That's too bad. And that's why I don't like distributors because it kills the small wineries. Why would people drive out to the winery when they can walk by the store and just pick it up off the shelf for $3 less? You know, substantial discount. So I was not a big fan of distributors, especially for small businesses, for small wineries and stuff like that. And it's that way all across the country. Everybody is facing that. That's why the lawsuits. That's why we're getting on this. Let's ship this across state lines. Let's be able to ship directly from me to you without having to go through a distributor. Let's ship directly from you without having to go through the hassles of paying more money, which is ultimately going to cost you more money. So the three-tail system, hopefully the Supreme Court's going to do something about this. It's going to change a little bit. But, you know, I I don't know. It's been something we've been battling, we in the industry have been battling for years and it's something that's constantly being talked about. But it's one of those classic things. Everybody talks about it. It's just like the weather. Everybody talks about it, but nobody does anything about it. So that's uh, that's what we're stuck with. Speaking of weather, we're going to have some nasty cold down here in Florida next week. So, you know, if, if for any reason you tune in next week and you hear us muffles, because both Mike and I will be talking through <laughs> our ski mask and <laughs> yep. Because it's supposed to be cold. <laughs> oh, we only. Oh, that explains it. See, I always have the ski mask on. I thought maybe that was just. 
<laughs> I thought that was a requirement for the show. I didn't. I didn't realize it was just during cold no, weather. No, it, it's oh. optional. It, 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 it's I didn't. Optional. I didn't get the memo. Okay. Oh, um, sorry, good deal. <laughs> so, uh, hey, don't forget refresh. to tune in on the mic tonight on Sky Blue Radio from ten to midnight. Ten to midnight. Always, always fun and entertaining. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I try. I don't know. I, information or whatever. I, sometimes I just play music and try not to talk. So there you go. Uh, yeah. Uh, thank you. Um, yeah, this was. Uh, I was. Uh, I was trying to look up stuff when you mentioned like pet bottles. I thought it was P E P as in Paul, and I thought I can't find any no. pet pep like pet boys. You know, I thought yeah. oh, there it is. Pet bottles yeah, and caps yeah, and nice. Nice kitty, so, good dog. I was like, pet. Good. Um, yeah. yeah, a pet bottle. Okay. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, good thing there. That was, um, and then the Primitivo, I was, I was having some issues with, but I, I finally found that. It helps yeah, if I can spell. I just <laughs> really, I thought that was Spanish. I just, I yeah. didn't realize it was Italian. I just, I, I feel so, don't, so misinformed. No, no. Hmm. All this time. Wow. All this time. <laughs> but it's good though. Yeah. It's pretty good though, huh? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Did you it, did you it, say uh, what the uh, alcohol content was, or did it did it mention anything? Thirteen point five. High, low. Okay. This one's thirteen point five. It's up there a little bit. Yeah, it's it's not mm. you know fifteen sixteen. It's it's up a little bit though. So thirteen point five is up a little bit. This is good though. Print people. I've had print people before, and it, it's good. It's it's to me it's. The Prentivos I've had is not as heavy as some of the cabs or some of the Zimidos I have out of California, but uh, yeah, I I don't know why it just doesn't seem so to me. But uh, all right, but yeah. So there we go. Um, we will <laughs> I keep saying that. We will uh, go ahead and end the show for this week. It is uh, eight something p.m. Eight oh. Two one two. Uh, we'll we'll be back in wow March, wow March seventh. Look at that March seventh. Yeah. Um, and regardless so of what we'll, that bloody groundhog says, March is spring month. So <laughs> you know. okay. Yeah. Oh, winter's yeah. over. It's going to be spring. Yeah. Try to tell that to everybody around the country. Uh-huh. Um, good. We'll see every we'll see everybody March seventh, uh, right here on, at seven p.m. Eastern time on uh, Blog Talk Radio, or you can of course listen to it on the um, archives Our- on Blog Talk Radio as well. They're all listed there. And um, thank you for tuning in. Have a great uh, week weekend and enjoy um, Noodle Month coming up, Frozen Food Month, and Peanut Month, and all the others. And, all the um, other goodies starting tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Tomorrow's yeah, peanut butter day, so enjoy that too. <laughs> Be safe out there on those wet, cold roads. I just saw an yeah. uh, YouTube thing of of forty seven in Missouri, forty seven car crash uh, on mm. snow. I mean, it's just you know, people were sitting in a semi and just taking a video of these cars sliding down the road and crashing into other cars. They just couldn't stop. Wow. It was just you know, nasty. So mm. be safe and be careful out there. On you're on the snowy road. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It, it is unreal. So. Yep. Um, yeah, very dangerous stuff out there. Um, it, it, thanks again. And Thank you um, for tuning in. See you next Thursday. Thanks again. See you next week. 
concludes tonight's broadcast of All About Wine on Blog Talk Radio with your host, Ron. For show information, links to All About Wine on Twitter and Facebook, or to be a guest on this show, visit the show website at www.allaboutwinebtr.com. Archive shows are available for download on iTunes or on our show page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash allaboutwine. Thank you for listening. Drink responsibly, and we'll see you next time on All About Wine. All about wine.